Hi, this is Dave Brisky, and welcome back to Brisky Business. This segment's about brisks, bulls, and bears. An interesting thing about this segment, we started the program letting it be really about the focus on public markets, and we covered a fair amount and demystified that. But boy, we started to learn that different people had different strategies for kind of setting up for their long-term future and setting up for their retirement and this type of stuff. So the brisk, bulls, and bears stuff has been a lot about stock and a lot about what people do for their future. I've got Tara Webb with me this morning, and she's pretty young, and she's got an investment strategy or or may have an investment strategy. We kind of talked about what she's doing as she looks down the road in retirement. And I think the younger you are, the longer that view is and the like, do I really even need it? So in your family, I mean, you've got a, a husband and some children, right? So you start to think about that. What's the strategy in the in the web house? So the strategy in our house is uh, my husband is a retired Marine, like I said before. So he does get um, a pension from the Marines. And we also um, have his pension. He's a police officer now. So those two things coupled with the residual income of the, the business that I'm building now, that's what we're using towards our retirement. And then we're going to work towards just building our portfolio. Wow, that is actually really, really powerful because most folks, and um, I have two, uh, three children, they're all in their early 30s, okay? And all of them already know that there will be no Social Security. They don't even count on it. So they know they've got to think about building um, something to build a residual income, whatever that might be, which is hugely stressful because our parents' age, you know, they, they didn't really think about things that way. They basically, you know, they went to work and they, they put in their Social Security and they, they could retire on that. And I think we all know that that future's pretty glim in terms of that type of retirement. But I will say something, and, and first of all, and I want to expand on this a little bit. What's your husband's name? Chris. Chris. Okay, so Chris is a policeman right now. So I definitely want to talk about that a little bit. But you know what people miss sometimes? The pension, right? That he's, that's great for retirement and the Marines. But a lot of that, believe it or not, is invested in the public markets in those pensions. That's how they build up that nest egg. So sometimes, whether you know it or not, you're in the public markets anyways. But what type of public companies would you invest in once you start that invest? What appeals to you from an investor view? Yeah, but what appeals to me, um, what, what I find most intriguing about the public market is just that, that it's public. And the transparency of it all is what I really like. And I talked before about how I feel really strongly about how knowledge is power. And that's the aspect that I like the most. You know, know the companies that you're investing in. Do your due diligence. Um, how do they treat their customers? How do they treat their employees? And, you know, the public market's a giant fishbowl, but that gives you that gives you a great opportunity to make sound decisions that make sense for you financially and ethically. Um, I want to invest in companies that align with my views and my ethics and companies that have good reputations and really focus on customer relationships is super important to me. Um, I want to invest in companies that have room to grow. If you're investing in something, you really should believe in it. And it's kind of how I run my own personal business. I'm playing the long game. It's not about the quick buck for me. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And you know, today uh, it's easier for young folks to invest. There's investment apps now that have um, no fees. There's a company, and I've had it on this show before, called uh, Robinhood, and they're actually an app to invest, and it costs nothing per trade, and you can invest as little as a hundred dollars. So I'm watching people learn how to do an investment strategy with small money. 
10 years ago, even five years ago, that was impossible. You already needed maybe two or $4,000 or $5,000 to open an investment account. And frankly speaking, for some people, that's like an impossible hurdle to get to. But think about how cool that is that you can give up your Starbucks coffee, of course, by ours, and then you could go ahead and take that, um, that $50 a week and buy those companies that you're talking about and the trades cost you zero. You could not do that even three years ago. So I think I find that interesting. I want to explore a little bit because I know you're an overcomer and I can't help but wonder. It's been such a crazy time out there, right? Unless we're a bunch of ostriches with our head in the stand and sometimes I wish I was an ostrich. Um, the economy out there, the, the, the view out there, the craziness that's going on in our world and, and your husband being a police officer, what has that been like in your household? Uh, it's been it's been pretty difficult, um, but I have to I have to be honest. Chris is a true professional, and it's me that gets all worked up about all these things and and everything that people are saying because I take it personally. You know, I, I view it as they're attacking my husband, they're attacking my Chris. I know that he's none of those things that they're saying, but he is actually the one who explains to me that his badge represents hurt and pain for some people and that they aren't protesting against him. They're protesting against police brutality and there's a difference. And so he's really incredible. You know, he shows up to work every single day in a good mental space, positive, compassionate and understanding of the situation. And he wants to help people in spite of it all. Um, he can focus on the negative around him. That would be super easy. Um, but he chooses to focus on the people who stop him and thank him and the people who stop him and pray over him. And he tells me that there's plenty of that to go around. So I'm, I don't know. I'm just really proud of him. He's one hell of a cop and really just needs to be more more of him out there. Oh, that is really inspiring and I'm so happy to hear that he's actually still finding joy in his day and people are praying over him and because the media right now makes it seem like you know just got to give all that's all they focus on which is unfortunate because I know there's amazing first responders out there and not everyone that's out there is going crazy you know reaching out right now I think is the message right I think you talked about getting to know a company you talked about transparency but I think when you see challenges like this we have to reach out we've got to get in groups. Uh, more people are rising up and having conversations about, hey, stop being so sensitive and explore things. Um, I have some African-American friends, associates, and I've reached out to them. And we had a discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement. And they started explaining what that really was and, and what it really meant to them. And it was very impactful. And they said it ultimately really means is, is really it's Black Lives Matter too. And I never, you know, I wasn't thinking of it that way. And I've had a bunch of expressions about that. And it's true. We all matter. Everyone hears Black Life Matters. And we get a bunch of people saying, well, these matter and that matters and this matter. Of course it does. But if we just would have added the T-O-O, it has a completely different feeling, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's not that black lives only matter or blue lives don't matter. It's that, you know, black lives matter also. Right. And it's really interesting because uh my husband's stepfather and we went to visit my in-laws last weekend and it was just the the cutest conversation i'm going to be honest you know my father-in-law was was talking to chris and basically apologizing for people who have taken it too far and chris was apologizing to his father-in-law for officers who have taken it too far and it was just like all they needed to do was hug you know 
Yeah, that is so absolutely cleansing, and that's the point. If we'll open up and have those conversations, which you already know me by now, I'm gonna reach out and have those conversations because it makes me better. It makes me able to explain to people that are coming out and saying those things and say, how about you look at it that view? I don't get that view if I'm not willing to have those conversations, if I'm afraid of those conversations. So it's all about be not afraid. We're gonna get about be not afraid soon with you in the last segment. I know you're like blown away that this segment is Brisk's best and brightest, my favorite segment. And I gotta tell you, this young lady that's on the program with us today, Tara Webb. Tara, jump back on the program here with me. Uh, best and brightest is something I think you are gonna, your story is so interesting. I've, I've heard pieces of it before and it, it really inspired me. And frankly, you already know, it's the reason why I reached out to you and say, hey, would you be on my program? Because it had that type of impact. In fact, we picked out this coffee cup, you know, a cup every program, it says, Peace, first of all, it does not mean to be in place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. And I know that, that you have a heart for that, and your story is really interesting, and I've called you an overcomer a few times. So why don't you tell us about kind of what you've been through and some of those things you've overcome? Sure. Um, you know, most people will look at me and, and make assumptions. You know, she's successful. She speaks in front of thousands of people. This must be so easy for her. She's outgoing. She's confident. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, most people wouldn't guess what I've been through in my life. And so I'm going to share with you guys the real Tara. And it's it's messy and it's ugly. And it's who shaped me to the person I am today. Um, there's three different stories that I'm going to tell real quick. Um, I was eight years old and I started to struggle in school. I was having a really hard time in math and reading and all of a sudden I was getting poor grades. I was getting yelled at in class to pay attention. I was being accused of not trying. My standardized tests were coming back and the scan was all wrong. I was ready to give up because I had no idea what was going on and I was always getting yelled at. And then something happened one day. I was outside playing softball with my dad almost every day and this day was a little bit different um he pitched me the ball and, and my dad thought that really weird because I usually swing at everything um and he pitched another and I you know I just stood there and didn't flinch I didn't respond he called to me nothing happened and so at this point my dad definitely knew that something was wrong with me and he ran up to me and he started shaking me you know Tara wake up and all of a sudden I came to and I was startled and scared. I'm like, why is my dad in my face yelling at me? You know, he explained what had happened and, and I just didn't understand, you know, what was going on. After months of doctor's visits being poked and prodded and some testing, I was actually diagnosed with epilepsy. And it turns out that anything with multiple lines was inducing petty mal seizures. So all those times I wasn't paying attention, I was actually in a seizure. All those scans as I filled in the lines, I was having a seizure and then losing my place and then putting in, coloring in the wrong bubble. Um, I was, all those times that I didn't know what I was reading, it's because as I read each line, it was triggering a seizure and I would lose my place and not understand that I wasn't there. All those math problems, I was lining up those numbers and that was triggering um, seizures where I'm staring off into space, I don't know I'm doing it, but it's a seizure. So. The prognosis wasn't good, and the doctors told us um, that the petty mal seizures would likely turn into grand mal seizures, um, would likely have difficulty in math, um, 
severe challenges in reading and most likely would never be coordinated enough to do sports. Um, I didn't understand what was going on. I was only eight years old, but I understood because of um, my parents' tears that it wasn't good. Like whatever was happening, this just was not a good thing. And um, later that night, I heard my parents arguing in the kitchen and and I overheard my dad say, you know, Donna, what are we going to do? This is, this is, she's never going to be able to do anything. And I heard her say, you know, John, yes, she will. This isn't the end of the world. We're going to teach her. And so teach, teach me they did. And the situation was really overwhelming. Um, I couldn't do anything right. And I wasn't able to control it. Or could I? So my mom taught me to break things down into little tiny pieces. And she told me to focus on one little thing at a time. And if I just break things down into the smallest of tidbits, there would be nothing that I couldn't do in this world. But how can I do that? How can I learn to do something as little as read when I'm being thrown into a seizure every 30 seconds? So my mom looked at me and I'm hysterically crying, feeling sorry for myself, pitching a fit. And she looked at me and she said, stop your crying. And I was like, mom, I can't do this. And she went and she got a piece of cardboard and she painted it black and she took an exacto knife and cut out a single line. She slammed it on my, on my book and she said, here, read. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You can do this. And that's what I did. And I trained uh, my eyes to focus on one line at a time so it wouldn't be triggering a seizure. I wasn't looking at a whole page anymore. And over time, I didn't need that cardboard anymore. You know, I I grew up to be an avid reader of reading over 52 books a year. And um, that little girl who would never be able to do math, she graduated 13th in her class. And the little girl who would never be neurologically coordinated enough to do sports, she ended up being a Division I college athlete. And that little girl ended up growing a $4.5 million business. So that little girl's me. And, uh, you know, I had to learn how to improvise, adapt, and overcome at a really young age. And I was taught to not let these seizures define me or carve out my future. But more than that, I was forced to learn how to take things one problem, one step at a time. And the impossible no longer was impossible to me. The impossible actually became a dare. And so if we fast forward then, about 20 years later, there was another pivotal moment in my life where the cards were just stacked against me. I had a choice of either giving up or I can just simply decide to change my destiny. And so um, I was 20 weeks pregnant with my fourth child. So this is right before Jamberry, like I said before. Um, I was 20 weeks pregnant and my water broke. I was rushed to the hospital and told that there was nothing that they can do. A 20 week baby was not viable and that they would be discharging me after my antibiotics to um, go home and call when my contractions started to deliver what would be a dead baby. And so um, the nurse started to hand me my discharge papers and she leaned in and whispered to me and she said, Tara, sometimes the hole will seal. Sometimes these babies live, go home, go on strict bed rest and don't listen to what they say. So she handed me what I thought was a death warrant. I went home and I immediately called my perinatologist and I, you know, I asked him is, is what this nurse told me even possible? Can a baby survive to viability long after a water breaks? And he said, he said, sure enough. Yeah. Sometimes it does happen. doesn't happen all the time. doesn't happen a lot of the time, but it could happen. And so, you know, I asked him, what should we do? And he said, let's just focus on getting to tomorrow. And I was shocked. So, you know, he said, take it one minute at a time. 
um, those weeks, those days, those those minutes, um, they all all ended up going and going and going. And we took a play out of my mom's playbook and we just handled one problem one day at a time. And seven weeks later, little Johnny was born at 27 weeks, weighing one pound, 11 ounces. He was 13 inches long, so that's about as big as a ruler. He went on to spend five months in the NICU and then six months in an inpatient pediatric hospital. Um, he finally came home at 11 months, and he was tied to all sorts of machines. And um, he had two machines assisting him to breathe. He was barely able to eat because his respiratory needs were so severe. And that first night, my husband and I just collapsed. What are we going to do? And then we decided we're going to do this one day at a time. We're going to do it one problem at a time, one beep at a time. But Johnny's going to make it. And and here we are seven years later. He just graduated kindergarten and he's heading into first grade. Um, now, imagine if that one nurse never said that to me. Right. Like what would have happened if I just listened to my fears, if I didn't listen to uh, her give me hope? What would have happened if I listened to the prognosis? And so we just decided we're, we're not going to let this obstacle dictate our outcome. But. One of the biggest obstacles that I've had to face um, in life in general is the fact that I have generalized anxiety disorder. Things like answering a phone call, speaking in large crowds, speaking to strangers. This, for example, right now, Dave, is not exactly comforting to somebody with anxiety. Um, everyday tasks are really hard for me, but um, most people would assume I have it all together. I don't. And they don't see me um, when the phone rings and I'm panicking. They don't see me... Um, how I have to decompress after I'm at an event and it's too people-y. Um, most people don't know I have it because I don't let it get in my way. It's something that I had whole life and it's something that I work through and I have to do what my parents have always taught me. And that was that I had to understand that I am just somebody who happens to have anxiety. I am not somebody who couldn't do things because of it. So here's a fun fact I'm going to leave you with before we go. Um, according to physics, did you know this, Dave? Bumblebees cannot fly. Did you know that? I did not. Okay. But it really matter because nobody ever took the time to explain the physics to the bumblebees. So they just fly anyway. So <laughs> that's how I have had to live my life. Go ahead and tell me that I shouldn't be able to do something. And I'm going to go ahead and show you that I can. Your mind is your biggest obstacle, right? And as long as you train your mind to not think that way, you're going to be unstoppable. And you are unstoppable, and that is such an inspiring story. I so appreciate you telling it to me. We've got one minute. I do programs here, and that's one minute. And when, by the time I'm done, you're going to have 45 seconds. I talk about gap moments. I know you know what they are. I think we share a common place we like to do. What does Tara Webb do to find that solitude every day? So every day, Tara Webb needs to have a there's a favorite coffee place she has down south in Savannah. Um, it's called the Coffee Box. And I need that moment of good coffee, real good book, and it grounds me. It just it, it soothes my soul. And I didn't know really that this was my gap moment until all of this happened the last three months and I couldn't do it. So what we actually did is we built a little retreat room in my house that has a little bistro table, it has bookshelves, a coffee maker where I can have that gap moment every day and live in the moment and just soothe my soul. Cheers to that moment. 
Jerry. Have a week full of gap moments. Thank you so much for being on Risky Business. We had Tara Webb here. It was a riot. I really enjoyed the program. Tons of energy. She matches my energy times two. It was great. We'll be uh, we're we're signing off for Brisky Business, and we'll see you next week.